We've got 10 nights until the next full moon. Well, he was what I would call a Sasquatch. Two pilots that showed unidentified flying objects. I ate his liver with some fava beans and a nice Chianti. I don't believe 99% of the things that people claim they've seen. I think this is in that 1%. A lot of people make fun of me, but I don't care. I know it's there. G'day and welcome to the Mellow Tiger Podcast. My name is Bree Wolf, and we are still in lockdown. Yay! Because of that, we obviously cannot get together. Josh and Jordan are both absent, as you can probably hear, which doesn't make it much fun for me. But you know what? you got to make some lemonade out of lemons, which is what we're trying to do. Just We're just trying to give something, you know? We're just, we just want to create. That's all we are in our hearts. Our creatives, we're artists, and I'm going to Michelangelo the shit out of this. Michelangelo? He was the turtle? Never mind. Michelangelo? Who was the dude that did the chat? One second. Yes, Michelangelo. So we're going to Michelangelo this shit out of this episode. Not really. Like, we're doing our best. We're bringing something to the table, okay? That's all we want to do. We want to bring something to the table that you want a taste of, perhaps. Just try it, you know? Just give it a taste. You might like it. You might not. It might not be for you. You might think, you know what? I don't usually eat this. I like the other stuff you cook, mostly. But, I mean, for now, it's okay, I guess. That's all I can hope for. That's all I'm hoping for. That's all we're hoping for here at the Mellow Tiger. Just bear with us <laughs> while we ride this wave together. Similar to last week's format, we'll be checking out some more spooky true stories, except this time we're hearing the creepiest cases experienced by police, paramedics, and look, yeah, maybe even a plumber, okay? When you hear hoofbeats in the night, Look for horses, not zebras. Unknown. When we experience strange occurrences, most of us will seek a reasonable explanation. But sometimes, on our search for an obvious and straightforward answer, none can be found. The following stories come from those within our community whose job it is to remain rational and calm under pressure, regardless of how bizarre the situation may be. Like last time, these bad boys were procured from Reddit, and by all accounts are true, at least according to the author. Story 1 by user CompSci2000 I was an emergency medical technician for a while. One day, we got a call about someone who was riding their bike at breakneck speed when they hit a car headfirst without wearing a helmet. We went over immediately. Despite the fact that it was broad daylight and we were in the middle of suburbia on a Saturday, nobody even came to check on this poor guy. Seriously, the streets were empty. Usually a massive crowd gathers around violent accidents like this. His skull was pretty much smashed in, and he was unresponsive. We assessed that he had suffered a major skull fracture, a concussion, and he was bleeding profusely. He was also missing teeth and had minor road rash, but fortunately he wasn't missing much skin. To give you an idea of how bad it was, this was the kind of injury that most people don't survive. If you did survive, you'd basically be a crippled vegetable. Normally we would have moved him off the road, but when someone has a head or neck injury, that isn't very safe. 
My partner went to check his pulse while I began to unload our gear. He crouched down, felt for a pulse for a while, and then stood up and opened his mouth to say something. Suddenly, the guy jumped up. He didn't use his arms to pick himself up. He just fucking jumped to his feet. It startled myself and my partner. The man looked at us, smiled, and attempted to grab his bike. We tried to stop him, but we didn't exactly want to wrestle him to the ground given his condition. He managed to get away from us and he bolts into the woods without his bike. He manages to get away from us and he bolts into the woods without his bike. My partner was in even more disbelief than I was. He just stared at where the man had run off, mouth agape. Then he turned to me and muttered, He had no fucking pulse, man. I asked him if he was sure and he swore up and down that the biker was clinically dead. We contacted the authorities for assistance and they sent a search and rescue team into the forest. I don't know if he was found or not because we normally don't get much information about patients after they go to the professionals. Keep in mind that this was the Pine Barrens, so they had a lot of ground to cover. My best guess is that he went to a loved one's house out of confusion. What I found odd was head injuries usually bleed profusely, so you'd think the guy would have left a long red blood trail for the cops to have followed. Story 2 by user Amatsumima. This was told to me by my dad when I was 12. Even now, when I ask him about this story, he can remember every vivid detail like it just happened last week. My dad was in the police force for 20 years, and when he was just a rookie, he and his crew had to conduct nighttime roadblocks meant to catch drink drivers. They had done it many times before, and this night started routine enough for them. That was until this Toyota Corolla drove up to them with what looked like a white blanket on its roof, flapping in the wind. They thought it was weird but did not see anything amiss about it. One of them even joked that this guy was multitasking by drying his laundry and driving home at the same time. The laughs stopped when the lone car came closer and all of them saw what looked like a woman in white lying face down on top of the car. The woman seemed to slide like a slug backwards until she disappeared behind the car as it eventually came to a stop in front of them. It took a few minutes for my dad's team to compose themselves as they stared at each other as if to say, You guys saw that, right? The most senior of them finally stepped up and asked the usual questions to the driver. There was a noticeable quiver in his voice as he made conversation and asked him to step out of the vehicle. My dad's team inspected the whole vehicle, including the boot, and found nothing strange in it. The driver was a good-looking staff sergeant in the army who was heading home from a company event earlier that night and admitted to having a few cans of beer. He said he laid down in his bunk to sleep it off, hence why he was driving home at 4am. He passed the sobriety test and they started to ask him if he saw anything weird during his drive home. Initially, he said no, but after more questioning, he mentioned that he had to swerve to avoid what looked like a bird that was flying upside down. It was spooky, but didn't think that it was detail worth sharing with the police. The senior then told the guy to chill out at a 24-hour coffee shop before heading home. The locals believe that if a malevolent spirit follows you, making a pit stop confuses them so they can't set up shop in your house. After some confusion of his own, the driver finally caught on and nodded in agreement. After the guy leaves, they call into the station and cut the night short. I never knew what happened to the driver, but I hope he's alright.
Story 3 by user Cannoned Cat. An elderly lady phoned 911 and requested that they send some policemen down to her house because she saw a shadowy figure lurking in her backyard. She was living by herself at night and didn't feel safe watching someone through a window. When the policemen arrived, the door was unlocked. They walked in and found the lady seated facing the window and they went to go check the backyard. There were no signs of anyone attempting to break and enter and nothing was missing. She had very tall fences surrounding her property, making it nearly impossible for anyone to get in. They did, however, find footprints on the inside of her home. It was quite possible that she'd left the door unlocked and wasn't looking outside, but rather at the reflection of someone inside of her home, behind her. Story 4 by user Landy0034 I'm a cop and I've been on patrol for several years and love stuff like this. On this call I had a backup officer with me who witnessed everything. Dispatch sent me to a call in a mountain area late one night. Dispatch said the caller reported several people holding a baby above their heads and chanting while standing on her property. The call sounded ridiculous and I smirked as dispatch gave the details. My partner arrived at the proper address after driving about 20 minutes along a mountain road. We drove separately. There was not much else up there and it was extremely quiet. No one walks around out here and there aren't very many cars driving this late. We walked along a gated driveway through a light wooded area and I found the caller's house with two dim lights near the front door. The house was surrounded on three sides by heavy woods. I felt a little uneasy just looking at the house. I knocked on the front door of the house while standing on a large patio. I heard something move to my left, which startled me because it was so close. It sounded like a person, something big. I looked to the left and used my flashlight to light up the patio, but I didn't see anyone. I continued to knock. I could hear two distinct voices inside the house. One was clearly male and the other female. This made me feel a little better. I had thought I'd heard someone on the patio, but it must have been someone inside. A woman eventually opened the door. She was terrified to the point of almost crying. She asked us to come inside and close the door behind us. She led us to the living room where I saw a very cheap security monitor, almost like a baby monitor camera setup with audio and video playing. The camera setup only provided a live feed and the camera was positioned to view the front door and patio area where we'd just been standing. The audio was silent as I watched the monitor for a few seconds. The woman began to explain when I interrupted and asked where the male was that I'd heard inside the house. She looked confused and said she was here alone. I was surprised because I know for a fact I'd heard a male's voice when I knocked. I asked her several times and initially thought she was lying to me, but my partner checked the house and didn't find anyone. The woman said she'd been reading while sitting on the couch when she'd heard something over the security camera. She looked at the display and saw two people on the patio standing at the front door. She heard knocking at the door, so she called the police. I looked at the monitor and although it was low quality, I could see the patio and front door area with decent clarity. As the woman continued to explain, the audio on the monitor went from quiet to extremely loud. We all stopped talking. The woman was shaking. I looked at the monitor, but I didn't see anyone. Loud audio continued to blast from the speakers. The audio sounded like wind, 
but it wasn't windy that night. I asked the woman, what is that? It's them, she replied. I looked at my partner, who was obviously nervous. The woman gave me her cell phone, stating she took pictures of the monitor, showing the two people on a patio. I looked through several low-quality pictures and didn't see anything. I continued to scroll, and sure enough, I see what looks like two tall figures standing at the front door. One of the figures is holding something. They look strange, all dark and featureless in contrast to the video I saw on the monitor. I was in disbelief. I realised she was telling the truth. I continued to scroll and saw one figure holding something up over its head. Another picture showed the item that was once being held above their heads, now at the base of the door, with both figures standing near it. I tried to reason, to explain what could have caused these images, but it was pretty apparent that there had been two subjects on a patio. My partner and I checked outside, walking the property to the tree line. I mentioned the movement on the patio and the male's voice from inside the house, and my partner asked me to stop talking about it. We finished checking the area and returned to speak to the caller. She informs us she'll be driving into town and staying at a hotel because she was too scared to stay at the house for the night. We walk along the driveway back to our cars. My partner and I walked along the driveway and back to our cars. My partner jumped into his patrol car and took off. I tried to laugh it off, but I felt really uneasy standing there alone in the dark. Story 5 by user Officer Bad. Content warning Story 5 features themes of self harm and suicide. I was supervising on evening shift in a small town in rural Australia. We have a large river that snakes its way past the town and runs close to some of the residential areas. It's a kilometre wide in some parts, has steep banks and thick bush in the bed when it's dry. One of my crews were tied up with something, and the other was attending two brothers threatening suicide after having a fight at a residence near the bank of the river. I heard about the job, and decided to head over to give my crew a hand. Upon arrival, we found one brother who was self-harming and on drugs. We restrained him to prevent him from harming himself further. He was telling us he wanted to kill himself, so he was taken to hospital via ambulance for a mental health check. As my crew had made the apprehension, they had to accompany the ambulance to ensure everybody's safety. My crew leaves, and then I'm told by the family that the other brother has run off down by the dry riverbank, threatening to hang himself. The family said he was drunk, but didn't have anything to actually hang himself with. I was concerned, so I decided to go looking for him. Both my crews were busy, so I was by myself. I parked my unit at the top of the bank with the lights pointed onto the bush, hoping that if he saw my lights, he'd come towards me. I got out my torch and made my way down the steep bank. I found a small clearing, and a small distance away was thick bush. Suddenly, I heard something moving in the bush. It sounded like something taking deliberate steps. I yelled out, assuming it was the guy I was after. I told him I was here to help, and pleaded with him to come out. I received no response, but while I was talking, whatever it was out in the bush stopped moving. I kept talking and attempting to make contact as my instincts told me someone was in the thick bush in front of me. Still, no response. My torch couldn't penetrate the scrub, but I could hear distinct footfalls. I stopped making any noise, turned off my light, and stood still, listening. I hear movement coming towards me from the bush. I remained still and listened. It came closer. Without thinking, my hand went down to my gun, and I was ready to draw. 
I turned on my light and walked forward and I hear whatever it was move away from me. I backed off, turned off my light and remained silent. Whatever it was started coming closer to me again, probing my position. I repeated the exercise once more and once more it backed off, but then came back towards me at a different angle. By this stage, I was on high alert. I got this heavy, eerie feeling, like something was telling me to get the fuck out of there. Any animal that was down there would have run off upon my approach. No animal I know of approaches or probes a human's position at night like that. Once I got that overwhelming feeling to leave, I backed off, with my hand on my gun, and I didn't turn my back until I had to climb up the bank. Once at the top and backed with my car, I felt a lot better, but I could still hear something moving in the bush. I stayed there for a while as I was curious. I left and conducted inquiries regarding the missing brother who had been found on the other side of town, fast asleep and fine. To this day, I still don't know what I ran into down in the riverbed that night. Story 6 by user Naren C. Content warning, story 6 contains themes of suicide and self-harm. This is unexplained and probably just coincidence, but I still never mention it to my co-workers. I spent some time as a homicide investigator. We would respond to all apparent suicides and investigate them just to make sure it wasn't a homicide. Usually we determined a motive for suicide and found a note or other indicated that the person had killed themselves. I mean, one time this guy had just taped a note to his chest that said, Happy now, bitch, and made sure his wife found him after he hanged himself. But occasionally you get a case where all forensic evidence indicates that the person killed themselves, but there's no note and no discernible reason why the person would be suicidal. These are people in good health, with decent careers and a seemingly happy family life. But who knows what's really going on with someone. Here's the part that freaks me out. I've worked maybe 10 suicides like this. The last three, before I left Homicide, all had the same thing at the scene. There was a little decorative wicker lighthouse at each location. It was the same lighthouse, same design, and painted white and blue. It stuck out to me the first time because it was by the bed where the body was, but two weeks later, I saw the same damn lighthouse on another suicide and even pointed out the coincidence to a patrol officer. A few months later, I go on another suicide and I see the same wicker lighthouse. That's when it clicks that it's always been unexplained suicides. I go back and look at crime scene photos from every suicide I've worked. In two of them, I see what could be the wicker lighthouse, but the angle's off and there's too much junk around for me to say for sure that's what it was. I don't know. I thought it was creepy as hell, but I transferred a couple of months later and I let it go. Story 7 by user Illy Chan. Two veteran cops, let's call them Bob and Mike, were responding to a 911 call that lacked details on a nicer block in a shit neighbourhood of a large city. They get to the house and are met by this older woman who is clearly an immigrant from one of the Caribbean islands, judging by her accent. She welcomes them in and politely tells them that she didn't make the call and alluded to having had previous issues with some of the local punk kids, so they probably made the call as a prank. Bob is not green by any standard and is pretty well educated for a cop. 
He's a super rational guy who has faced absolute nightmares with unflappable stoicism. But damned if there isn't something about that house that's telling him to run and not look back. There's no reason for it. The house isn't a mansion, but it's clean and well kept. The woman, while annoyed about the prank call, is entirely cordial with them, and there's no weird sounds or smells that suggest something is amiss. Still, he can't shake this feeling of unbridled terror. They eventually finish taking the report and leave. After they get into the car, Mike looks at Bob and says, Damn, I'm so glad to be out of there. The place freaked me the fuck out. Now this worries Bob because Mike, in addition to being a veteran cop with the time in a homicide department, was also a veteran of an elite military unit and considered an all-around badass. That they both were independently freaked out was bizarre. Still, it's a big city and they have other stuff to worry about, so they get back to work. But leaving that feeling unaddressed didn't sit well with Bob. When he was on his own and had nothing pending, he went back to that neighbourhood and found the block captain. He asked her, Hey... You know that islander lady on your block? The captain responds. Oh, you mean the witch? So now you remember those kids that were giving the homeowner a hard time. Apparently one of the local punks threw a rock at her window not too long ago, before Bob and Mike had visited. This shit, let's call him punk, basically acted like an asshole prick when the woman confronted him. Witnesses say she swore he would regret it. That very night, Punk's parents rush him to the local hospital, which is actually a really phenomenal hospital despite the neighbourhood. He's in massive pain for no apparent reason. The ER runs tests. Turns out he's suffering multiple organ failure, and they have no idea why. None of their tests showed any reason why a previously healthy teenager was just dying in front of them now. Nothing poisonous, no injuries, nothing. Their staff valiantly work to stabilise him, but nothing's working. At last, the parents went to the homeowner's place, throwing themselves in front of her door, and they beg her to spare their son. The homeowner supposedly looked at them with an oddly neutral face and said their son would be fine. And sure enough, for no reason that the hospital staff could fathom, Punk does a complete 180 during the night. All his organs start working again, he stabilises and he's back to 100% come morning. There isn't even any permanent damage to his previously imperiled organs. Bob later confirmed the story of Punk's mysterious illness and equally astounding recovery. Bob's contact was totally creeped out when he told her about the homeowner. I guess modern medicine doesn't seem to work on curses. Story 8 by user... Joby One Kenobi 85. I'm not in law enforcement or fire and rescue or anything like that. I'm a plumbing contractor and I got a call from some homeowners about a bad smell in their house. They were trying to sell the house but were having no luck because prospective homeowners noticed the odour as soon as they'd enter the master bathroom. I showed up at the site thinking it's a broken vent or main sewer line and the smell is sewer gas or raw sewage coming up from the crawl space. When I entered the home, I couldn't smell anything until I got to the master bathroom, and then it hit me. It wasn't quite a sewer gas smell. It smelled more like raw sewage mixed with grease trap grease that had been sitting out in the sun on a 90-degree day. I asked the homeowner how to get into the crawl space as I didn't see an access from the outside. The man said he didn't know and had never had to go down there. I started searching the bedroom closets for an access and found one in the homeowner's daughter's room. It was under the carpet and screwed and nailed shut. Here's where it gets freaky. 
The little girl, whose room the crawl access was in, was watching me as I took up the carpet and started taking out the nails and screws from the access door. When I was almost done removing the screws and nails, she turns to her dad and frantically starts telling him not to let him out. Their dad assumed she was talking about not letting me out and started telling her I wasn't leaving, I was just going under the house. She literally broke down crying and screaming, don't let him out. The homeowner apologized and took her out of the room. When I finally got the access door open, the fucking smell about knocked me out. It was terrible. I climbed down into the crawl space and worked my way towards the master bath. There was no broken main, no broken vent, no sewerage on the ground. In the corner, there was a large black trash bag. I crawled towards it, and when I opened it, I found it was full of whole animal carcasses and old bottles of embalming fluid. It freaked me the fuck out. I hauled ass out of there and told them they'll need to call some kind of hazardous waste disposal company to come in and get rid of whatever the hell was down there. I didn't even charge the people. I just left. A few weeks later, I got a call from the same people wanting some minor repairs done in the kitchen so they could sell. The homeowner said after I left, the smell completely went away and they had a handyman remove the bag of animal bones. They figured that had to have been the cause of the terrible smell, but it was strange that it had went away before the bag was removed. And last time I checked, bones don't smell like that. I never found out what the little girl meant by don't let him out. And I never went back there again. You know how there's like that saying and it's like a, you wish you knew what you know now, but like when you were younger, do you know what I mean? If I knew what I knew now, when I was younger, I would be like that little girl in the last story and just constantly fuck with adults. You know what I mean? Like every time there was a handyman or some sort of contractor entering my house, my 10 year old little shit self would be like, oh, I wouldn't go up into the roof if I was you. That's where they put the bodies and they never found his head. So now he cannot leave. He lives here in the walls now. Like dumbass shit like that. And I probably also would have made a note to invest in Bitcoin. Well, that was our episode for the week. Uh, Please, if you have a creepy story you'd like to share, message us on Facebook or Instagram, or if you want to do it anonymously, email us at brie at mellowtigerpodcast.com. I would love to do an episode of listener stories. I think that would be pretty cool. Don't fuck with us. Like, please, if if you want to tell a story, make sure it it is a true story that you believe happened to you. Or maybe someone you know. No, let's not go, like, too far removed because that's when it starts getting sketchy. Just you or someone you know that had like a pretty cool story that you liked, thought was creepy, whatever. Uh, Geordie's also working on an episode and it sounds really cool. So hopefully we'll have that one to y'all shortly, maybe next week. Don't have any pressure on him. We'll see how we go. And as far as I know, Josh is just hanging out at home with his chooks and ducks. I heard he was trying to teach them sign language so their little feather wings can sign I love you to him and feel that large poultry shaped hole in his heart. Bless him. So as always, keep washing your hands and staying out of trouble. And I guess we'll catch you next week. Bye.